You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Voter information is exposed in Mexico even as Philippine authorities make an arrest in their own voter database hacking case. U.S. court rulings affect the interplay of security and privacy. Reporters do the math. On Director Comey's Q&A, they conclude the FBI spent something north of $1.3 million on a zero-day used to unlock that jihadist iPhone. Ransomware and point-of-sale hacks are this week's fashion and crime, and we take a look at some industry trends. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, April 22, 2016. Authorities in both the Philippines and Mexico deal with exposed voter databases. In the Philippines, the Commission on Elections was initially defaced on March 27th, with personal information on about 55 million voters being posted online three days later. The Manila Bulletin reports that police arrested a suspect at his home in Sampolic, Manila, and that the National Bureau of Investigation is sifting through devices and other materials seized in the arrest. The suspect is said to be a recent IT graduate who styled himself a white hat hacker, committed to responsible disclosure. If still unconfirmed reports are correct, that self-presentation isn't without justification, as the suspect is said to have earned some bug bounties and the thanks of the companies to whom he's disclosed his findings. Obviously, however, hacking into and then exposing the personal information of millions of registered voters means you've changed hats. Philippine authorities apologize for the breach, but say they'll continue to hold elections as planned. In the Mexican case, Salted Hash reports that Chromtech researcher Chris Vickery discovered a 132-gigabyte misconfigured MongoDB instance holding records of more than 93 million voters. The compromise was discovered April 15th and disclosed the next day, but the database seems to have been exposed on an Amazon Web Services account since September of last year. Authorities pulled the data offline this morning. The FBI paid at least $1.3 million for a zero-day that helped them access the San Bernardino jihadists' iPhone. The Bureau considers it a bargain at that price, but the purchase is unlikely to mollify those uncomfortable with the investigation's implications for privacy. There are, of course, many ways you can become infected with malware. One of the vectors is the phishing attack. Some phishing, like the venerable Nigerian scam, designed to induce the unwary to give up their bank account credentials, is fairly obvious and easily recognized. But fishers are upping their game. We spoke with Fish Labs expert Joe Opaki about the growing sophistication of phishing schemes. 
spearfishing remains the primary infection vector for APT actors. We all knew that. However, 22% of spearfishing attacks analyzed in 2015 were motivated by financial fraud or related crimes. The second thing is we noticed that there's a large upscale in the number of uh, business email compromised spear phishing attacks that we've seen in 2015, a significant more than we saw in 2014. And the threat actors that are using these types of attack techniques are modifying their techniques to make the attack much more effective. Opaki reminds users to remember that phishing is often a single component of a larger, more sophisticated attack. So there have been numerous uh, incidents over the last couple of years in which law enforcement has actually um, arrested people who are known fishers. I think the bigger question is what a lot of people understand is that fishing is also considered a gateway crime. We say a lot in, in our office that 90% of all malware infections begins with a phishing attack, and also 95% of all corporate espionage attempts begins with a spear phishing attack. So phishing is not a single crime. It's actually tied to larger organized crime. As time goes on, the fishers' techniques grow more and more sophisticated. There's two types that we really focus on. And first on consumer-focused phishing, what we've seen is authors who are creating what we call fish kits, which are basically sites that are posted on compromised websites that represent a brand that they're trying to scam. What we've seen is we've seen a lot of authors who have injected code that obfuscates data, um, will collect large amounts of data from people who are, are going to these scam sites, uh, have specific countermeasures in place to prevent analysis, have specific countermeasures in place to prevent specific users for, from going to even the fish kit. So um, they have GeoIP blocking. Uh, they use specific technologies to prevent IP address spaces from visiting. From a spear phishing side, we've seen a lot more sophistication around these business email compromise scams. There's more and more targeting by the fishers against the enterprise. Uh, the business email compromise attacks not only grew in sophistication over the last year, but the actual attack techniques by the fishers changed since what we've seen in 2014. What we've also seen is we saw a modification recently that preys upon privacy. So we've seen a lot of emails that have gone out uh, in with the scam that uses some type of mergers and acquisitions ploy to reinforce the needs for secrecy. So not only they're saying is this timely, do you need to do this because I'm the CEO, but also you can't tell anyone that you're doing this. And so we're seeing a lot mu much more social engineering sophistication going into these types of attacks. According to Joseph Opaki, there's no silver bullet to protect your organization against phishing. It requires a combination of employee training, reporting, and automated monitoring. Phishing is 100% a social engineering attack, and essentially the, it preys upon the fact that people want to believe what they read. There's no technical implementation that you could utilize that's going to 100% completely combat phishing. It's important for you to provide security awareness training or what we call uh, employee defense training to educate your user base to identify what the attack looks like and further build this mentality within your company to provide reporting. Reporting absolutely is important part of this process because not only does it need to be identified, but it also needs it needs to be analyzed, and it, it helps drive the response to the attack. There's lots of technical solutions that you can implement that will assist you with doing a lot of this, but as the attack methodologies change and also 
as the adversary threat vectors change, there's always going to be fish that are going to make it through any solution we put in place at, in the enterprise level, which is also why we need to reinforce that the security awareness training or employee defense training is important for your user base and then constant testing to ensure that they know how to identify the attack or the attack vector. Joseph Opaki is head of threat research analysis and intelligence at Fish Labs. Their website is fishlabs.com. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Benjamin Yellen is a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, one of our academic and research partners. Ben, I think we all have a certain expectation of privacy on our mobile devices, but there's a device called a stingray that comes up in stories about law enforcement investigations and mobile devices. Can you describe for our audience what exactly is a stingray? Sure. So a Stingray, uh, and the, there's another brand name that's used called Hailstorm, is a device that acts as a cell site simulator. So it tricks your cell phones into uh, transmitting information that they would normally transmit to a cell tower. So it's actually identifying information and information that can reveal uh your exact location. And these devices have been used by law enforcement as a way to track potential criminals. And uh, law enforcement has tried to use evidence gleaned from these searches by Stingray devices in courts of law. Now, there was a case that just came up in Maryland regarding a Stingray device, yes? Yes, there is. So the Court of Special Appeals just heard a case uh, by the name of the state of Maryland v. Andrews. A background for your listeners, the Court of Special Appeals is an intermediate court in Maryland, so we'll see if this case makes it up to the highest court in Maryland, uh, the Court of Appeals. But that court, the, the intermediate court, held that 
uh, searches under Hailstorm, which is a version of uh, the Stingray device, are unconstitutional, are violations of the Fourth Amendment, and any evidence gleaned from the use of these devices cannot be used in court. It has to be excluded. And the reasoning is that people have a reasonable expectation of privacy that their cell phone will not be used as sort of a real-time tracking device. There's this uh, legal concept called the third-party doctrine in which if you voluntarily submit information to third parties, such as a cell phone company, then you lose your reasonable expectation of privacy and there's thus no search for Fourth Amendment purposes. But I think what the court was saying here is that you are not voluntarily submitting any information. This is an active device that seeks out your information that actually penetrates your device to get identifying information. So the court was saying that the third party doctrine doesn't apply here. That means we have a search. People do have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And because it's a search, the Fourth Amendment applies. You either need a warrant or a exception to a warrant. And in this case, uh, law enforcement did not have a warrant. So the at least for the time being, the case has been thrown out and they'll need to try the case with new evidence. One of the things that puzzles me when I see these stories about uh, Stingray devices is that the FCC seems to be turning a blind eye when it comes to law enforcement pretending to be cell phone towers. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. So last year, uh, Senator Bill Nelson from Florida sent a letter to the FCC and its chairman, Tom Wheeler, asking about the use of these Stingray devices. And the FCC said that they have certified these devices the only condition for their use is that they, they can only be sold to law enforcement officials. Uh, basically, the commission said it had no information about the extent to which or conditions under which law enforcement has obtained authority to use these devices. So they've been pretty hands-off about it, which I, I agree that it's, it's surprising, especially something that has sort of limitless potential to identify people's locations and, and personal information. So I'm surprised that they uh, haven't taken a closer look at it. I know that the ACLU and, and other groups have, have raised concerns about these devices, and they're basically operating as remote cell phone towers that, they're, that are gathering metadata on all the phones in their vicinity, and that's a pretty significant intrusion on people's privacy. Well, time will tell, and we'll continue to keep an eye on it. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Looking back at the week, we find some recent U.S. court decisions affecting privacy and security. Senior United States District Judge Susan Ilston of the United States District Court for the Northern District of California has ruled that changes to law and policy have now rendered national security letters constitutional. National security letters are demands for personal information accompanied by a gag order prohibiting disclosure of the demand. The judgment was unsealed yesterday. 
Judge Ilston had earlier ruled national security letters unconstitutional. The Electronic Frontier Foundation plans to appeal. In a quite different case with a markedly different outcome, Judge William G. Young of the U.S. District Court of Massachusetts ruled inadmissible evidence in a child abuse imagery case. The FBI had obtained the image by using network investigative techniques to plant spyware on a suspect's device. The investigation was conducted with a warrant, but Judge Young found that the warrant had been granted without proper jurisdiction. Point-of-sale attacks spiked this week. Much of this appears to represent a criminal scramble to take advantage of legacy card swiping systems before their imminent replacement in the big U.S. retail market by the, one hopes, more secure EMV systems. Commonly called chip card, EMV point-of-sale systems are the ones in which you insert rather than swipe your card. They're clearly coming to U.S. stores, but merchants are dissatisfied with the way they're being pushed out. Retailers began assuming liability for pay card fraud about six months ago, and they're unhappy with the confusion customers experience at checkout. They blame card companies for the problems. The card companies, retailers complain, have been too slow in certifying EMV software. The week also saw the continuing rise of ransomware, including the newly discovered CryptXXX. Researchers are finding that the criminal proprietors of the well-known nuclear exploit kit are profiting from the trend. Their product has become a popular adjunct to ransomware campaigns. And of course, the most important protection any enterprise or user can adopt against the effects of ransomware is regular, secure backup. The week saw some patching. Cisco patched, among other issues, a denial-of-service vulnerability in its wireless LAN controllers, and Oracle issued 138 fixes to products that include Oracle Database Server, eBusiness Suite, Fusion Middleware, Oracle Sun Products, Java, and MySQL. A significant change to Oracle's patching practices is the company's adoption of Common Vulnerability Scoring System, or CVSS, version 3.0, which caused more of its patches to be scored high or critical. And in industry news, Dell SecureWorks priced its initial public offering late Thursday. In the IPO, some 8 million shares were sold, lowered by a million from what was expected, and the price was $14 per share, also a bit lower than the estimated $15.50 to $17.50 range. SecureWorks will trade under the SCWX ticker symbol. Other security stocks exhibited mixed performance in trading. IBM's disappointing earnings brought its shares down, but a number of analysts think the company's repositioning of itself, especially its repositioning as a player in the security market, make it a long-term bargain. Another company attracting favorable reviews from analysts is Palo Alto Networks. Morgan Stanley thinks underappreciated free cash justifies continuing its positive overweight rating. And finally, have you ever received emails from security vendors urging you to act now or warning you that this is your last chance? We have. Sometimes they even address us by our first name. When we were out at Cynet Itsef, if we heard about one big burr under everyone's saddle, it was the last chance cold call or email. So we close with this advice to security company sales staff everywhere. Act now. Stop the nagging and learn something about your prospects. Act now. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 